to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for, well, most of us have been doing it for way too long, talk about what we do to make a better game and just try to perfect this little craft we call dungeon mastering. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. And Dave, the one that Thorin was just calling out. So that is really the question we were just talking about. Is Dave technically a new DM? Because he hadn't really DM'd much until this past year. But you were you you did some stuff before. You I mean you played the Marvel face rip system, which has been dead for like twenty years. I know. Oh, yeah, I that's not played new. that. I had played that. That I had played and as I said on, on multiple episodes now, I played as I, when I was a kid, but I don't remember a lot of that because I was a kid. But no, I mean I I had run a group through almost two-year campaign in Pathfinder. Um, And then uh, started gaming with a couple groups in 5E, uh, was running some of those games, uh, did some one-offs with the Marvel system, you know, that kind of stuff. We were getting back into gaming. And now I'm... I'm very hard into it. You know, I, we, what do we have? Three, four, seven, 19 campaigns running right now. I, I forget. Uh, I think we got, I'm involved in three live campaigns. And yeah. I've got two campaigns. Well, one campaign that just ended and another campaign that is kind of, uh, I guess one I'm playing in that's kind of on hold. So I don't know how, what other games you're playing in. Feels like, I feel like I can fit in one more. You know, I would love yeah. to fit in one more game. Get, get back to four games, two DMing, two playing. That, that's my balance. It's, poss- that's what I'm it's possible. For. It's possible. I tell you what, COVID has helped tremendously in our gaming potential. Uh, <laughs> I know much to Tony's delight because he was really dying with the once a month gaming thing. So Yeah, that's pretty horrible. But, but yeah, I think I'm probably the closest to... Uh, to the newest of the DMs, you know, but I mean, we're talking, you know, years now that I've been doing it. So, I, but comparatively, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny how long you could feel like a new DM when you get into this, because you can still feel like the new guy DMing. Like when I started DMing some of the players from like the group I met with Tony, like I felt like the new guy for years. I mean, way longer than we had mm. been already gaming together. Like, like, like we'd been gaming together for more years than they'd been playing before I came in. And I still felt like the new guy. And I think that's pretty common to feel like you're a new DM, even long after you are, which is it, which brings us really to tonight's uh, tonight's topic, which one of the things we want to talk about is, what kinds of tips, what kinds of things have you learned since being a new DM? So what kind of tips do you have for new Dungeon Masters? What are the things you wish you knew the first time you were a Dungeon Master? And even as a veteran Dungeon Master, what are the little things that maybe you forget or maybe other people might not know about that really help you put on a great game? And I think, uh, Dave, since you've jumped out as the, quote, new guy of the group, <laughs> kick us off here. You know, what do you wish you knew when you were as a new Dungeon Master? Uh, that is a really, really good question because, uh, like I've said before, I, my, my, my style has been evolving as I've gone forward. But I think the, I have several, several points that I'll probably make throughout the night here. Um, but the biggest thing for me would have been uh, decreasing the amount, like we talk about player agency, uh, and we talk about how I kind of sit right in the middle between your style, Thorin, which is very much... Uh, what do you do? And that's how the campaign is going. No, there's no real plan necessarily. There is. On, right, but on, not. Facebook, on Facebook this week, I described myself as the Warner Herzog of gamers. Because the more I get into this, the more I find so many DMs 
really do consider themselves storytellers. And like, if you're not coming in with a tight story and working people through scenes, you're not a DM. And I'm here like, I'm just letting it go organically. You know, we're just going to put the monsters over here and the players over here. We see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's all an uh -huh. organic ballet of death. Exactly. So I kind of sit, I th I feel like I sit somewhere between you and Tony in that way, uh, depending on the session, depending on the group I'm playing with. But I would have liked to have been a little more when I talk about prepare for the next session. And that's pretty much it. You know, you can have some of the overarching ideas, but just prepare for the next session. Because when I first started, I literally had prepared out the whole campaign. For no reason, like there's literally no reason because then it was that let me shoehorn the players into where I need them to be, you know? And it became a little bit too railroaded. I look back on that first one I did with the Pathfinder uh, group and I uh, I was like, oh, I could have done that so much better. But that's kind of the the beauty of the of this hobby, right? So that's, that's, that's tip number one. The but I will say I did. Campaign. I will Your say first, one of the game. things that yeah, one of the things that greatly uh, influenced me because of when I was coming back into gaming and I had gone online to just to see some, you know, how are people playing? What's the what's what are some good mm -hmm. tips kind of thing? I became very um, uh, influenced by a lot of the 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 big DMs out there, you know, and I think that that style kind of infected me because it works for me but then I, I don't think i realized what i didn't know at the time to use it properly right so you're talking like the theatrical dms like kind of matt yeah. mercer oh, and I, 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 and... yeah i have no issue uh proclaiming my absolute love for matt mercer the man is is phenomenal at what he does you know um so it's like looking at a, a professional football player you know and just marveling at what they're doing you know so Maybe be tip two. Do take a look at what the online DMs are doing. Let it let it kind of influence you. Oh, you that's know, a huge tip. No, yeah. I mean online resources are it's a renaissance town. When you guys started, when I was a kid, right, doing AD and D, uh, there was the dude down the street, and that's all you knew about how to play D and D, right? Mike Merles, uh, he the guy who used to be at Watsi, uh, produced a lot of their their stuff. He said when he was a kid. They didn't know how to play, but they had the monster manual. So they literally just went from A to Z and just fought each monster. <laughs> and he was like, Enjoy your Abolith. Yeah. yeah. He was like, It was a great time, but it wasn't D and D. I don't know. You know? Wow. Time, I, can't so. imagine, I can't imagine a first level level Abolith. That had to be a wonderful fight for those guys. Enjoy your enjoy your psychic slime monster. So speaking of kind of DMing with the guys down the street, I mean, Tony, that's pretty much how you came up. I mean, how would you – what's your tip for new DMs? Well, I would say for the new DM, you want to be prepared, like that song from The Lion King, but you don't necessarily want to try to write a book either. And what I mean by being prepared is you want to feel comfortable in the material you're presenting. That's super important. Don't worry about having something down every alley and in every treasure chest they may come across. Have your points. Feel comfortable moving between them. And get them from where you're starting to your hook to your climax to where you wrap up that game. Now that almost sounds like that almost sounds like tips for public speaking. Be comfortable with your topic. Be ready to present it. Is that kind of like like what you're bringing in? There? Absolutely, because I have to tell you something. As a DM, when you're talking, there's always there that one guy 
at the table or whoever that, you know, they're going to eat you alive if you're not rolling this right. They're like, they have nothing intelligent to add. They're like, ah, ah, you just said a word. Ah, I got you. <laughs> and they're making a joke out of it. And it's like, all right, slack ass. Are you actually going to do something besides like, you know, metagaming? Um, hey, it's all part of it. And honestly, if it's funny, it's funny. That's okay. But yeah, be comfortable and, and you know, know your material. What are some things you do to get comfortable? You have to be you have to be versed in what's happening. You have to have a really clear picture. So I kind of, before I start, I walk myself through all the steps. I actually, a lot like public speaking, where <laughs> if I'm delivering a speech, I'm going through all the points in my head. And I'm like, well, all right, it's going to go here. It's going to go here. And I kind of like almost troubleshoot it and say, well, what if, mm. what if they don't want to talk to this guy? Like I ran into an episode or we ran into a situation with the last game I just ran, expecting to have this whole dialogue with you and the Troll King, and nobody <laughs> wanted to talk to him. And I'm what like, are you talking okay. about? We talked to him. I talked to him with some, I think I was a 27 uh, on a persuasion roll, I think. We don't want to be honest with him. I mean, yeah. I we lied oh. to him. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going to trust some ice troll king. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You know, but here you are, and that would have been perhaps an information point in the story. But, you know, we had this moment where everyone was a little standoffish, like, no, I'll show you a card. How about you show my card? And the other player's like, no, man, don't show many cards. I'm like, well, okay, then we're not doing this, and that's fine. Which brings me to another tip, which is let the dice fall where they are, because yeah. you're not running a story. You're running an RPG. You know, you I, wanna, I do want to delve into that a little bit, because I'm finding this happening a lot. In my game, we also had an encounter where the players were talking to royalty. They were in the court. They had a chance to ask some questions, do some things. And while they had a conversation, they kind of bailed on the conversation earlier than I expected. Now, Tony, it kind of sounds like that was the same thing with the Troll King with you. Like, we just – did the players just kind of not ask the questions you expected them to ask? Well, this is the beauty of it. You don't really know exactly what's going to happen here, and nor yeah. that I really – you know, I figured they would investigate this a little, a little further, but they're like, okay, he's a troll. Most trolls eat people. Uh, and I understand their apprehension. Now, he was I, – I gave, I gave some hints that he actually had some influence, some knowledge of what was happening. He knew you guys, but the, the party wasn't really hooking on it. So I also hate when a DM overly tries to guide the party in something. If you don't want it, you don't want it, okay – Maybe it'll come up somewhere else, but it wasn't here. You know, yeah, it's not, it's not a book. In our defense, I'm just going to throw this out to the audience. For, as Thorne says, for some context, right, is we roll up on this massive mountain that we're climbing. We're falling down the mountain. I'm having to cast feather fall because we're dying, right? We track ourselves up this mountain, mm -hmm. and now we roll into this cave that has these ice trolls, we get brought before the king, who BT dubs, if you guys remember from the movie Thor, uh, King Laufey, the king in Jotunheim, that's what this dude looks like. And we're <laughs> supposed to be like, oh yeah, here's our whole secret plan against the frost giant Jarl. Come on! <laughs> I, I'm just saying he wasn't friendly with them, and you know that perhaps would have been an opportunity, but that's okay. And my warlock was really against me talking to this guy. I'm just going to say. <laughs> What's with warlocks anyway? Rome, I swear, Rome did not like pants. 
our our war forged uh, warlock did not care for us discussing anything with uh, the the ice king troll. I don't think there's enough warlocks in my party. Honestly, we need three warlocks. Oh, there's two warlocks in your party, right? Yeah, and, then, yeah. and then I'm one in our other game. An uh, all we, warlock party. That's warlock did not get a shout out for for best classes for new players, but it almost did because you don't get a broad spell selection. But man, is it fun to play a guy who just gets his spells back on a short rest? Like, they're a good class. As much as we've talked about barbarians being a super fun class to play, I think warlock is that. If you want to play a demigod, yeah, you could play a barbarian. You want to hit things with stuff. Play a barbarian. You want to shoot stuff with spells. Play a warlock. Absolutely. Because I really do like like having played both of them a little bit and seen them played. I do think the warlock is like the spellcasting version of the barbarian. Like it's fun. It does cool stuff. In some places, it's OP because like your cantrip is OP compared to yeah. any other cantrip. Uh-huh. You know, once it's you a, start yeah. adding charisma to damage, you start. Sh- and then only that when it levels up, you shoot two of them, which means you're now getting double your charisma bonus to damage. Yeah, and you'll, you'll shoot three at some point too. Yeah, it's like it's like every other cantrip. Like, oh, you get an extra die. This one's like, no, you get an extra die and you get to add your, it get to add your bonus again. You know, uh, just, eventually uh, there's like four of these coming out. You're dealing minimum twenty four damage. But I'm gonna tell you how many massive fights I was in, and you guys were all mangled like you just fell through a lawnmower. And my barbarian's like garden fresh, and he's like, well, no, I true. guess we can it's take true. a nap. It's I'm true. Sorry, barbarian's yeah. cooler. No Barbarian is is a beat. The, but to tell you the truth, with all of the classes that I, I played a bunch of the classes in 5e at this point, and they all offer really cool stuff. And I think that's one of the things that is really cool for new players is that um doesn't matter what you play, you're not gonna feel like you're uh slacking. You know, even if you're one of the squishy players, because you still get super cool things and and ways to to build that character into into something really special. Yeah, I still got to play a ranger. Like, I haven't really played the ranger myself. I've seen people struggle with it. I haven't seen a play where it was like where it excelled. I gotta try it myself at some point, but you know that's actually an article on the website. You can read our picks for the worst <laughs> classes for new players and the best classes for new players right on threewisedms.com. In the Let's get back to our advice for new DMs, though. Yes. Uh, if you guys have each nominated a couple of suggestions, I guess this will be probably the fourth total suggestion. Um, the number one thing for me, uh, I'm going to go a little more uh, operational here. Um, don't say no, determine difficulty. And where this really comes in, in, oh. in is when the players start going off book. And, and yeah, as a DM, I really embrace players going off book, coming up with off the wall things. One of the one of the things you want to play with is the idea that whatever they want to do, just because it's not something that you have rules for doing, you'd like to let them try to do it. Now, in 5e, it's not too bad. You give them a skill check. Maybe there's advantage. Maybe there's disadvantage. But think about how can, you know, if they want to try this, what are the odds of them succeeding instead of difficulty for them to hit? Um, so, like I said, in, fi- in fifth edition, you know, you've got the difficulty numbers you can look at. You've got advantage and disadvantage you can play with, uh, all which can let you get to a roll. You can also use, you know, borrow some tricks from fourth edition and go with the skill challenge sometimes. So if it's something that's complex and difficult, but they got a chance at it, you can give them six rolls to get three or four successes or however, five rolls to get three successes, something like that, build some tension into it. But it's finding a mechanic to let them try to do the crazy thing they want to do. And if you really want to get off the wall, I'll go back to second edition. There's a, a trick I used to use in second editions with the percentile die. I would sometimes assign mm-hmm. a difficulty modifier from one to uh, 
one to five and the lower difficulty is harder. So what I would say is you take your uh, attribute in that ability, your ability score there, times it by the modifier, and then you got to roll lower than that on a percentile die. That's some old school second edition thinking when you used to roll down, not always, we used to roll down as often as up. But the idea is to come in with another kind of way of saying, all right, well, that's really hard. You've got a one or a 1.5 difficulty modifier, which means if you've got an 18 strength, you got to roll an 18 or lower, or, or, or a uh, if it's like a two, you got to roll a 36 or lower. Um, but think about like not just saying no to crazy ideas, but finding ways that can make an ability roll to make it work. At the same time, I tend to draw the line on spells. Like we had a caster try to use light to blind somebody, which is not part of the first level light spell. And so, I, I, I on the other hand, you know, do be mindful of how powerful you make something at what level. But still, you know, they have a crazy idea, don't say no determine difficulty and that's i think we've thrown out four tips so far so why don't we come back to you dave what do you well, think I, What's I, i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback off or actually just return to two of the things you said uh the skill challenge uh what we were just talking about with uh heading up to the ice troll king uh lair uh tony ran that as a as a classic fourth edition skill challenge to my mind mm. uh we had a certain amount of roles to make a uh, certain amount of proficiencies we could do that kind of thing uh, and it turned it turned something okay. You have to climb up into okay. I need to make these rolls, and it it, it ratcheted up that tension a little bit. So that was really really cool. And that was a little uh, different because it wasn't quite like a skill challenge. It was like you have X rolls, and for each one you fail, you're taking damage. Yeah, it was it was like a modified skill challenge, but I felt like it was still kind of a skill challenge because it was challenging the skills, right? So, but yeah, it wasn't like it, it wasn't I guess right out of the book of 40, but um, but yeah, um, but I think what we're talking about here too, what the first thing for me, uh, the most important thing for a new DM is you need to play. If you haven't, a lot of people are getting into this hobby for the first time. Maybe they have seen some of the live play stuff online. Maybe they heard that Joe Manganiello is huge into D&D &D and they loved him in True Blood. Maybe whatever it is, right? But if people are hearing about it again. They're seeing write-ups in magazines. They're, they're, the buzz is happening. And they're like, I want to play. I always heard about it. I, I don't know what this is like. Um, so play. Get into a game somehow and play. Uh, if you are planning on being a DM, that is almost a prerequisite. If you're in my situation, like when I started, uh, and everyone kind of went, Dave's going to DM because he tells good stories, you know, um, then you're going to have to do a little bit of homework. You know, you have to do a little bit of prep work. Um, so go on and, you know, check out some of the resources that are online for you. See what D&D looks like when it's played. Just choose one of the live action things and, and run through it, right? Uh, and get a sense. You don't have to know every single rule, but as we've said in previous episodes, you need to have at least a grasp of the rule set so that it's not just Dave's game. It, it has to still be D&D &D if that's what you're playing or, or Pathfinder or Call of Cthulhu, whatever, you know? you know? Ironically, I think I was also the DM the first time I played. I DM'd, I tried to DM several times and got games going a little bit, but couldn't get them regularly going before I got a chance for someone else to DM me. That was my experience. Okay, uh, so your experience too, right? So, Tony, was that, was that your experience? Did you have to DM before you'd ever played? Uh, there was nobody else. 
So if this was happening, I was driving the car. It's like we're all underage and we're at the mall and we have a car. So who's driving it? Well, I'm the crazy fucker who's now behind the driver's seat. So this is happening. Yeah. My is, first yeah, module, exactly here. the first module I ever ran was based on the sample mod in the red book. Yeah. The original box set. And I TPK'd everybody by the second room. I think I did the same. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's the same thing I did, yeah. Everybody <laughs> went up fighting Medusa in, like, the second room, and it was game over, man. So, dude, the it was unforgiving. I mean, the, the stuff that... <laughs> The first, uh, the, 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 in the start, and the beginners, what they call the beginner's box for, uh, for the Pathfinder set. I don't know if it's still this or not, but they have a little sample adventure that you can take your players through, and it's just a dungeon delve. But they throw like let's say four first level players against i mean a whole mess of goblins but then a roper a fucking dragon like i mean it's all the classic stuff but it's just like dude these guys are first level you know i mean they load them up with magic items and stuff but well that's yeah. a little bit that's a show-off game that's what makes them want to play a game right here we're gonna oh. give you a bunch we're gonna give you a bunch of magic items let you kill something really big this is not what the game's like on a week-to-week basis no, but that was that was what was cool, I think, because the group was super into it. And then I, I had them play a bunch of the pregens that came with it. Um, and then I said, well, if we want to do another game, let's start one. And you guys can roll up new characters, but you'll have all it's, it's as if those characters went through this. So you'll have all the treasure and all the items and all this. So it was like a, a little extra. So when they went shopping for their first basic equipment, they're buying like horses and wagons and shit yeah all right so so tony what about you what's your what's your next tip for uh, new dms or things that you wish you knew the first time you dm'd i would advise a new dm to embrace where the player's inspiration meets your own with character creation and by that i mean by the time your players are at least in the second tier you should have a really good conceptualization of where they are. You should be able to describe all of these characters. You have a very clear picture of who they are. You should be able as a DM to be able to write a paragraph about each one of these characters. And if you can't, something kind of failed somewhere. Mm. The best characters I ever had were practically writing themselves. I know other authors have said this, like my drow, which is go off on a tangent, and I really didn't have to think about what's going on. So this is what he would obviously do. Boom. Next thing you know, I'm robbing people. I don't need to rob because it's hilarious. <laughs> and the whole table loves it, and it was funny. Was it really furthering the plot? No, but humor is always great in a game. Almost always. Like 99 out of 100 times. Oh, you ham know, it up. Absolutely ham it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, a lot of this kind of brings me back to when you're first starting your game. Like when you're when you're first starting your first game, what kind of advice would you give someone to go about that? Like, how would you set about kind of how would you say they should set about designing the first session, the first adventure? Well, besides keeping it in, you know, within strict guidelines of, you know, my points of my story, being comfortable with the story itself. And of course, the important thing is you got to know the room. I know we've talked about this in previous games. You should communicate, as Dave's covered many times. Like, what are they looking at in this first adventure or sitting down? You're looking to have fun or you're looking to be cool or you're looking to try some stuff out or you don't, you know, or are you playing in games? Like some of our games were just all our characters were throwaways. They had no personality. I was like Freddy the fighter and he was Timmy the thief and oh, Timmy died. How come here comes Nick the thief? And it was no big <laughs> deal. 
There was no character attachment. If you got to be level four, it was like, oh my God, Greybeard, you're level four. Real quick, back to Tone, though. What do you think, though? Does it, when you started DM and everyone just said, we all want to play this yeah. cool game that we've heard yeah. about, and mm -hmm. Tony's going to DM, obviously, because that's just what he's going to do. And, because and they're obviously care what he says, insane. right? Thorin, kind of the same for you. Somewhat the same for me, too. Everybody was like, yeah, let's let's try this out, and Dave's going to DM. Uh, so that's a lot different when everyone is new to it than, let's say, it's the first time you're behind the screen with people that have been playing, right? Does that change it a little bit in your mind, Tony? Well, absolutely, because you're dealing with player expectations. And I've right. actually had peer DMs explain to me that they've sat at tables with newer DMs and the rubbers kind of hit the road where they're like, well, I should be able to do this. And the DM wasn't able to kind of field ways he could. Even if you see like, well, it's not in the module. So uh, I really you kind of got to go left. Because that's left, and there was no other. And it's a shame because we all we pretty unanimously agree. We encourage creative things in combats. We encourage creative solutions to ending starting ending a combat before it starts. If you can talk your way out of it, great. Why why am I grinding through this when I could talk to this guy, maybe get some information, and we all leave? That that's a solution too. In the previous sessions, murder equaled XP, and that's not so much the case now. You know. So I've been thinking about this. I put some thought into this coming into coming into the, to the game here. I'm thinking about what was it like DMing my first game, or like even those early games, or, or anytime you're doing a first game with a new group. Um, and I think one of the things that we may be overlooking a little bit is it's really important, I think, to set an expectation that you're comfortable hitting. And in some cases, we're talking about you know set up your story, know the characters. When you're coming into the game, when you're coming into the game as a new DM, whether it's everyone's new, in which case it's really important, or even just you're just new and you don't know what they want to do, I think you need to set some smaller goals for yourself. Just be good with this session. Getting back to Dave, what you were saying, yeah, that, yeah. you know, plan one session. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't 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 go for like here's the whole arc. In thinking about that, you know, what I would really recommend is when you sit down to DM your first adventure. There's about six steps I would kind of go through to 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 be ready and to be able to engage to be able to engage the to engage your players. The big thing is you don't want to have anyone sitting around while you prep stuff. You don't want to be coming up with your encounters on the fly. You don't mm. want to be caught in a situation where you're like, uh, I don't know what happens, or let me go find that page and that book and pick the monsters and throw the monsters out. You can do games where you where you do them with random encounter tables. I've done it before. It can work really well. You got to be as quick as you can be with them, and sometimes even that can be too slow. But the six steps I would go through if I was planning a new session as a new DM, uh, and this is after step zero, which is do your best to know the rules. Although also as a new DM, I think everyone, players, have to be ready for you to spend some time looking up rules or for them to look up some rules. So I think you need some flexibility there from your team. But then number one, First, you know, for first session, figure out how and where the players meet and get the first quest and want something fun they can bond around to have their first conversation, whether it's a bar fight, whether it's them going shopping, whether it's they have to go question some way or they have to go ask some questions or something. Have that figure out kind of, OK, what's because that's always awkward. How does the party meet is always an awkward point. Just think about what's the easy thing. And some easy things can be you're all slaves. You're all prisoners <laughs> in the same dungeon. 
you're all you meet when you were all called to this to this merchant's house where he's going to hire you to do a job. You've all answered the same ad. You can skip ahead some, but have in mind kind of what's that going to be? Don't just have them stroll into town. You don't know where they are, how they know each other. Pick that. That's your first win is you get the party together and talking to each other and working together. Second, coming into it when you're planning it, think about the monsters you want to play with. Um, goblins are great for first level. You really any edition, you know, goblins, you can play with some orcs, but kind of have your monsters and your NPCs and know when you're coming into the game that, okay, these are the NPCs I'm going to work with. These are kind of the, maybe I need a couple voices for NPCs. I need a couple personalities, not to, you don't need to plan too many, maybe one or two, um, especially if they need to hit one to talk to one, to know what's going to happen next. So make it nice and make it nice and, and manageable though. You know, have one or two NPCs in mind that you're going to play, write their names down, write down a couple sentences of backstory, have it ready to reference, be ready to ad lib if you need to. And think about what are the monsters. Okay, so this first adventure is going to be maybe they got to go rescue someone from a goblin lair. They got to stop goblins who are attacking this, the, 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 the tax shipment or something. Know your goblins, have them set aside, be ready to pull them in however you need them. That's step two. So you're just kind of, you know, you have your players and they're going to be interacting with these NPCs and monsters. Get those ready, be up to speed on them, understand how those work, how you want them to play, how you want them to sound. And that'll really, that's your second win. Okay. You have control over the situation you're introducing the party to. Third, think about your adventure flow. So generally, you know, if you're doing a one shot session, you're usually going to have, you know, they get a quest. They have to figure out how to go wherever they need to go to do the thing. So, for instance, if goblins ransack, say goblins kidnap somebody. Well, they need to think about who do they who do they have to go talk to to find out where the goblins are. So figure remember, think of that part. How do they what's the investigation portion? How do they find out where they go? Then once they once they know where they go, how do they get there? You're going to have a little adventure, like a little wilderness travel kind of scene from to get to the goblins, or maybe they're trying to get down to the sewers to get to a thieves guild or something. Think about that. What do they find once they're there? So are they running into a goblin hideout where it's a burrow and they've got guards in the burrow? Are they going to be talking to someone? Are they going to be talking to guards? Are they going to be sneaking up on a, on a monster's den? Think about that. Okay. So it's got the quest, found out where it is, got to the spot, have the kind of your first encounters. Then think about how many encounters you want to have between there and the end. And if it's a one shot, you're going to want to keep that under five. You might only do once they get to the spot where the adventure is happening, you might only do two or three encounters. It might be one set of exterior guards, one set of interior guards, and then the big boss battle. Think about what you want your big boss battle to be. That's going to be a tougher battle. That's where you're going to bring in your goblin chief or like, or, or, or the larger version of the monsters they're facing, or maybe that's the higher level thieves go guy they're talking to or, or fighting. But then, okay. So, you know, that's your flow, right? You've got the, we got a quest. I know how they, what they need to do to find where the quest is. I know how they're going to get there. I know what they're going to see when they get there. I know they're going to basically go through a couple of things and then get to the big boss fight. A big boss fight is going to be harder it's going to be unavoidable. The other encounters might be avoidable. You might say, hey, they can talk their way around these or they can sneak around these. There's other ways to get into the burrow to dodge this encounter. That last encounter should be something they can't really sneak around. They might be able to talk their way out of it, but they're going to need to talk to your goblin boss. Some In some way, they're interacting with that last dude, like Tony did with the dragon we fought. Okay, the dragon was laying in wait for us to touch his, tr his treasure, and then, and then he was going to sneak attack us. Well, we just dodged that. We went right to the thing we were trying to get to, which was an airship. Well, the dragon came out and got us. You know, you don't <laughs> dodge the final boss. You might one-shot him. You don't dodge him. So think about that. You know, okay, so 
Last encounter is unavoidable. There's other ones that might be able to think their way around in some way. And then five and six, if something unexpected comes up, don't panic. Think through what you got here. So if the players go off script in any way, just think of it as they've opened a box you hadn't had time to put anything into yet. Step back for a second. Think about where the box is and what's inside the box. Why is it there? Why is this room here? What are the goblins doing with this with this odd room they ran into? Or, you know, what makes sense for the people who live in this area? Fill in that way. Think from the environment. Think about the things you've already put in place. And from that, you know, if the players do something you don't expect, just try to answer the question from the point of view where the monsters are using, the NPCs are using. You know, the players have opened a box you didn't fill yet. Well, stop and think what's in the box. You know, don't think of it from the player point of view. Don't think of it from the DM point of view as, ah, I'm caught, I don't know what to do. You've got your environment. What, what does this environment mean is in this box? And finally, my last tip for new DMs, because this is kind of just, that, that kind of gives you, gives, gives you, a, uh, you know, the, the rough sketch of what you're doing. Never be without your towel. This is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy unit rule. Never be without your towel. And as a DM, your towel is an ambush. Your towel is a monster that if things go off the rails and you can't answer questions fast enough, it's a monster who can attack the, the PCs wherever they are. You know, so for instance, say they're in that goblin lair, things going weird, you don't know what to do about it. Have it have an umber hulk attack them or a bugbear attack them from the side. Have something else come through that you can explain after the fact. But if all else fails and you're stuck, put the player characters in a fight, ambush them, threaten them, spend an hour or so dealing with a fighting encounter, gives you a chance to think about what you do and reset and get your feet back on you. So your classic orcs attack. Your orcs attack. That's right. You were trying to rescue goblins. Well, guess what? The goblins are now being attacked by by a bugbear or by or by by hobgoblins or something. Upset the players. Knock them off. Knock them off balance so you can get your feet back onto you. So, what do you guys think of that? Well, that's a good structure. I mean, I try to play every game like it's gonna be my last because honestly, you never know if it's going to be. I mean, look <laughs> at your campaign. We were like a year and a half into that. It's like, well, this is done. COVID, boom, COVID drops, forget night falls, forget like, you know, rocks fall, COVID falls, but I like to run every game in terms of energy, fun, uh, the encounters, and leaving the players opportunities to do things that they define as cool mm. in every one of these, the things are memorable, and if I have to end, if I ended my campaign um, with you guys, say, this was the, like, last week was last week, meh. That's at a terrible point. Like, I would be okay with that. Mm. I mean, you could do the arc. The arcs are great. If you can get to the arc, that's awesome. That just doesn't always happen. Life happens. COVID happens. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that is um, that is kind of what you're what you're looking at. Literally for for every game, not just when you're you know your first game. Uh, but that's that's generally is is the structure of, of each game in some ways. Um, but there's a lot of things in there that I think we take for uh, for granted. We just well, yeah, you need I mean, you need your encounter and you need it. But it starts to fall down into, well, well what the hell is it? What's an encounter? How do I do like it? So with that. Especially if you're new to, to the game, especially if you haven't played a lot, even though you should absolutely play before get behind the screen. That's just my thing. But sometimes you can't, right? But it goes back into what I always kind of fall back to, which has become my general uh, 
my general way of, of going about it, which is just stealing smart, right? So whether it's stealing, stealing stuff from other people, whether it's kit bashing, as I refer to it, but there is tons of material out there, especially for new DMs. I mean, even in, you know, something like uh, the, the 5e starter set, right? It comes with a module. You don't have to run the whole thing. I mean, it takes you through level five, I think. Um, the the mines, Lost Minds at Fandelver is that one, right? Um, and from what people have said, it's actually a really cool adventure. I would heartily recommend that people grab something that is pre-published for your first game. Look at it. Play around with some of the stuff. You want to change some of the names. You want to put it in your fantastical world. That's awesome. But one thing that they absolutely have done is they have professional people building these encounters, understanding balance, understanding action economy, understanding all of these things that are behind the scenes so that you don't have to put so much time into understanding how do I, how much experience can I put into this CR with the thing and the persons, but there are four people and I need to go to Cobalt Fight Club to understand the encounter building, right? And all these, <laughs> take something, take Lost Minds, take whatever is in whatever starter set you have, go online, grab an adventure. Um, hell, go on, because uh, he has an awesome one. I actually, uh, I wasn't a new DM at this point. This was just like probably six months ago. But I, I was hoping to start kind of a West Marches style campaign for a group that was a lot of people that wanted to play and they couldn't always get the schedules together and, and all of that. So cool. Then whenever we show up, that's that's the team that's going out, whatever. Um, and I literally took the uh, from uh, Matt Colville's Running the Game series. He has a whole one where he literally builds a dungeon for you. He's like, here's a dungeon. Let's go through it. Let's build it out. This is what it is. Boom, boom, boom. And he kind of explains it. Takes about 20 minutes. Uh, I ran him through that. It was awesome. I changed it. I changed a lot of the, the mythology around it and the history and the lore and all of that. I also understood how to run a combat encounter. But... Uh, but it was awesome because it was already there. I didn't have to do all of that prep work. I could bother with the prep work of preparing myself for the game, especially if you're if you're brand new, like you guys are saying. You know, it's uh, you can take your time preparing for, you know, getting prepared, like Tony says, with the material, knowing the material you're going to run. You can see Thorin's six steps in it because you have a quest, you have people that need to get there, all of that. Uh, but you can spend your time figuring that out as opposed to necessarily how to build every single aspect of a D&D game. So run something that's already made for your first time. And then maybe every time after that, because they're super fun. As <laughs> I've been saying now, uh, the more I do some, some published stuff, the more I'm like, why the fuck am I even bothering with creating stuff? Like, this stuff is awesome, and I, I love it, you know, and I get to play with it. Anyway... That's a separate, that's a, that's my, this is my blue period, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll still, I'll keep winging it. Winging it is more, definitely more fun for me. I, oh, I, absolutely. I've, I've done book stuff, although, you know what, though, the truth is, though, when I started first edition, or when I, when I first started with second edition, it was, uh, well, like I said, I started with a town that was pre-made. When I first played in the Red Box, I did do the adventure that was in the Red Box. When I tried Call yeah. of Cthulhu, Tony ran through the first the, the, the book Call of Cthulhu game with me. 
Call of Cthulhu is funny because everyone who plays their first game almost always goes through the same adventure, and we and everyone finds out what it means to be knocked out the window. Everyone's got a story about a bed knocking someone out a window. <laughs> a second story of the house, a bed hits you and you fly out the window. Someone gets knocked out the window. It's always a funny story. It's memorable. Important to keep the, to have things, and I think it's important for new players to think about that too. New get new DMs. What memorable kind of encounter can you throw in there? You know, um, something where someone gets knocked out a window. Running into a mimic is a good one. Rust monsters are better later on. Um, just something. What can you do that kind of shakes it up so they're not just kind of fighting goblins here and there? But you know, what can you do that kind of really provides something that they're going to remember and maybe shake them up a little bit, take them, make them stop and get their feet back onto them. I would say don't waste for, too much time with that, though, because the memorable stuff is what the stuff that you never saw coming, and it just really goes sideways. Sometimes. Actually, you know what? So, that is the memorable stuff, but I do think as a DM, you want to think about what thing here and there are, are, is going to stand out to players, because you got to put some of that stuff in. Yeah. You know, and I think it's, I think sometimes that's worth thinking about. If you can just think of one memorable thing and then build an encounter that kind of just supports it, that's a good way to go about it. All right. It. Okay. Right okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Tony, what were you saying? Okay. Um, for a absolute beginner's trap is building a town. Stay. Yeah. Do not get <laughs> lost in this rabbit hole. For the love of God, and even as an experienced DM, this would go for both. I would say honestly. You could like, okay, so I want to run a module. Great. So where are they going? This town. I don't want to use an established town. Those are dumb. I'll create my own town. No problem. Five hours later, you're still <laughs> dicking around with this town. Like who's the mayor? What's the backstory? Is there under, is there a, uh, there are catacombs underneath it. What's a blacksmith? Are there magical items? What's in every store? Who are these people? Like, you know, you're designing streets. It's gotten way out of hand. Much and better methods idea. of government. Yeah, here we go. See, why is he elected? Is it a blood? I didn't vote for him. You know, <laughs> that's just awful. I mean, get some encounters going. Get yeah. get some. Get, you know, get some notches in your belt. Fight a couple of basic encounters. If you're concerned about balancing, go easy and work your way up. Um, Dave was talking about inspirations. I mean. The one of the reasons why I turn away from a lot of the published material often is because I kind of want to do the things that I find is cool. I look at, yeah. uh, you know, things like from Athorian Knights. I look from uh, Arabian Knights. Uh, a lot of knights there. But the point stands. <laughs> Different that, knights. Different yeah, knights. <laughs> completely, completely. But um, I want to do things within these genres. I want to use perhaps my own spin on some of these classic tales. And let's, it's something that adds, you know, that DM fun for me into it. In line with that, and this is something else I was thinking about. As a new DM, one thing I would keep in mind is don't get too caught up in any one encounter. As much as we want individual encounters to be memorable, if your party thinks of a way to take out the big bad guy in that in this adventure with a one shot, or they find a way to avoid it and it's clever and the party, and the party feels like that was a fun way to handle it, roll with it. One of the big traps I think new DMs fall into is feeling like, oh, no, 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 we got to pull you back to do this thing I wanted to do. You really got to let the players do their thing. You're going to have, if the campaign goes on, you're going to have a lot of combat. You're going to have a lot of encounters to do whatever you want them to do. Let them shine. If they find a way to, if they take out the big bad guy here in one shot, let it be a story. 
let it happen. Or if you must do something about it, do it behind the screen and quietly so the players don't know you're changing things. Um, but for the most part, I would say don't get so caught up in any one encounter as being the big payoff that you kind of lose control of what's going on because they did because something unexpected happened whether it gets a crit that kills it immediately or the players come up with a clever plan you know you've always got to be flexible enough and not so attached to any one villain or encounter that you can allow that kind of thing to happen i think that's a really important thing i think that's something i think a lot of new dms can go wrong with when you're like no that wasn't supposed to happen hold on let it go let it happen. That's that's the game, man. It's it, unexpected things happen, and the unexpected things are the magic. You'll get yours next time. You know, in those kind, of, especially in the beginning too, you got to find that balance between you being as a DM and handing out rewards and treasure. That balance between you being Uncle Scrooge and Monty Hall. Absolutely. I mean, how many? That's the one that we talked about that a couple weeks ago in the uh, podcast. My first my first big long campaign had that happen where it was fun. It was going great. I'm getting excited. I'm giving people things they shouldn't be getting yet. And all of a sudden I miss like all the level like four through nine through 12 monsters. All, they're like level six and they're fighting things that are meant for like level 13 dudes. Uh, that actually ties into one of that. I, that ties into another one of my tips, actually, too, which is to me, I would advise I would advise you against that, not just for making it money hall, not just for overpowering them. I really like the adventuring between like levels three and twelve. They're kind of mid tier when you can still threaten the party with owl bears or bug bears or you know kind of, like like they're local heroes, but they're not so high up that every encounter's got to be with like gods and demigods and dragons and demons. Use, don't advance them so quickly you don't get to use your monster manual. You know, slow it down, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, put in points that are exciting, but don't rush through the low levels to get to the high levels. I think the, I think those medium levels, you really what is like tiers two and three in, in fifth edition, to me, some of the best tiers in the game. Mm. I'm not afraid to tweak monsters, honestly. <laughs> you feel like guys are getting a little, you know what sucks the air out of the room when a guy goes, okay, well, based on my level and based on the party structure and based on that monster CR, no, yeah. I've already changed this monster all around. Now he breathes fire. Sorry. Let's just take that. Monster manual <laughs> is optional. Let me throw that right out the window. We had that come up in our game, actually. Flat. Yeah, we had that come up in our in our Friday game where one of the guys came into like kind of the group chat after and said, man, we should have hung out and fought that dragon. He could have only had this much left. We could have taken him out. I think we would have been fine if we'd stayed. And I'm just in there like, you don't know what that monster has. And yeah, as as you trust yeah. me to do what's in the monster manual, I will kill and eat you. I promise you. Things will not go the way you think. That was Brian from Knights of uh, the Dinner Table. He's like, well, based upon his scales on his back and his teeth um, and his tail length and the circumference of his eyes, he would have had 255 hit points based on our attacks. If we were all hasted, we could have wiped him out in two and a half rounds. We had this, guys. We checked it out. And you're like, no. Never forget what they did when they met a gazebo. They fought the gazebo. They did. The classic nice at the dinner it's table epic. episode. <laughs> and if listeners don't know, a gazebo is kind of like a standalone porch. You know, it's a, not a monster. Not a monster. Wait, they wasted it. <laughs> Fireballs online. Yeah, we, we've said that in, in previous episodes, though, that the, uh, the you know monster manual and stat blocks are uh, templates. They are ideas about a common variety of that style of monster not every single one in the world so yeah so you know you can always dial that but that's not necessarily that's that's later on in your in your 
your new DMing career. <laughs> you know what I would throw out there that I think new DMs could use, though? If you're in an encounter where you feel like, set aside what I just said. If you're in an encounter, you're like, wow, these guys just were mopping this guy up in one round, or he got one attack and he's gone, and I wanted him to last longer. The best low-key way to adjust that is to pile on some hit points. It's behind the DM screen. The players don't know. If the players are just dealing way too much damage for this guy, for like when you're going to like have an encounter that's just kind of like, is like just a smear, and maybe you timing-wise don't have something else to do. Maybe that means you're kind of going to be out of stuff to do for a while. You're not ready with something else. Throw up some hit points. Behind the, you can do it behind the screen. You do it quietly. Get a feel for kind of how quickly the party's taking it out and how long you want the fight to go and just load up. You know, it's, I don't think there's a problem with that so long as everyone's having fun. At the same time, if you feel your fight dragging and you feel the players getting bored with the fight, pull some hit points away. Hit points are your big secret way to control the length of a fight, keep people, yeah. keep things from being anticlimactic, and also keep people from getting bored. Yeah, it, that's the easiest way to stop the slog. Mm. It's just, oh, wow, that la that next hit killed him. That's amazing. <laughs> what an amazing... Wait for, some epic, wait for some epic uh, sword swing and kill him on that. Or wait for the most useless attack and have that kill him. Yeah. <laughs> even, though, even though it happened, I think it happened by the book, but I feel like my cloud of daggers against the white dragon, it was like just this last little... <laughs> of uh, damage, and it, that's what killed the damage. He either had three or five <laughs> hit points, dude. He did eight. That was a game yeah. over. Like, he was we were just But then this, like, nothing spell just, like, yeah, it was great. I think a new DM also needs to know when to get involved in a situation or where players hatch it out. For example, mm. players dealing with treasure. Let them figure out. Um, there's a party structure and all of a sudden, the player that's normally, you know, six players back is now touching the magic sword that was out in front. Okay, that's your referee moment. And you got to go, okay, you, no, you don't get to be really sticky fingers and touch this thing first, which is actually a peeve of mine. The sticky fingers player who have their hands all over the treasure. But if that was a trap, he was down the hall in the bathroom. Like, that's an entirely different situation. Well, I, I was at least 70 yards away from that fire trap. So let's so but let, let's let's so what you really talk about is the idea that this guy is not up near the treasure. He's not at the front where the killing is being done. But as soon as it comes treasure time, he's like, no, no, I'm right there. I'm up. I'm up taking the treasure. You've got I, a party who was there first. They they had a chance to look at it before you did, right? I mean, this is really it's about space, right? It's about space, and it's saying, well, the DM's got to make that call as the referee and say, okay, your martial characters will probably right up front get to look at the magic sword, get the, get the first reaction on it, versus, you know, the, you know, the who whatever, the warlock that was nine stiff guys back comes up and touches it. It's always the warlock's a warlock's 120 feet away, but insists he gets first pick of magic items, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that'll tell you a lot about who you're playing with, too, you know. Yeah, everyone was friendly until the treasure starts getting divvied up. Oh, good God. Yeah. Like, you know, it's funny. Dave made a joke at the end of my game where he's like, well, how about I get this and get this and get this, right? And he was obviously kidding. But I've had this real conversation with other players who were, like, getting annoyed. Like, no, man. Like, if I had the magic armor and the magic belt and the magic sword, like, I'd be so great. Like, come on. And I'm like, no. And then I'm going to, like, get the goldfish. Like, what? What? Are we, what's happening? <laughs> you know, that's one of those things where it's, 
it doesn't know it's not always a bad idea to throw out a suggestion on how the party should divvy something up you know hey maybe you guys want to roll for it or however you want to handle this and you know that yeah usually if they don't if they don't know what to do usually then they roll for it throw you can throw out suggestions you let them handle it themselves you can kind of you can kind of suggest you know oh wow yeah that looks really good for the paladin you know you can you can it's okay to drop a hint or two without being ham-fisted and coming in there and just being like you're doing it my way because really the party's not the dms the party is the players yeah that's absolutely true so we talked a little bit. We hit on encounter building a little bit. Um, I think we can probably hit some rules of thumb here for for new DMs and maybe even experienced DMs. My method of encounter building, we've talked about me and Tony especially, do things a little bit differently with encounters. Uh, Tony tends to do more easy encounters leading up to a big boss fight that tends to be a really powerful kind of solo boss. Not always, but in general. I tend to do encounters that are more... Uh, a lot of the encounters tend to be the average encounter tends to be more challenging. There tends to be more, more monsters in them and more different kinds of kind of things going on. So my encounters kind of take longer and they do build up to a climax, but each one I'm trying to make each one tactically interesting. Uh, I will say for, for me, my rule of thumb for building encounters is uh, I will often throw out one monster of the CR equal to the party. Uh, so, you know, having learned now after the red cap incident that we've talked about many times, we don't need to go over that again, but <laughs> my, my, my encounter building is usually, I find a monster that's the CR. So first level party CR one, second level party CR two, something like that right around in there. And if you get a feel for the party that they can handle CR three monsters at level two or four, three, whatever, I might do that. And then kind of, it's a good idea to throw in some things that are lower level. So, you know, if you're really like dealing with a first level party and you got the CR1 monster out there, throw in some one quarters, throw in some, just some, some things to make the fight a little more interesting. Some other things from the deal with some things to attack the wizard while the tanks are trying to deal with the, with the big bad. And I do that actually throughout. So even now, with seventh level players, I'll throw out like, all right, maybe here's a CR nine monster that I think you guys can take, but here's some other stuff around. Here's a CR four that's kind of throwing some charm around. Here's some CR ones that are doing some ranged attacks. I like to mix it up. That is my style of encounter building, and that's my rule of thumb. I pick something that's kind of pretty close to what the CR is for that party. So CR CR four for level four, or I might go three or five depending on what I'm playing with. But I use that as my benchmark. The one kind of marquee thing, maybe two, if it's like one level below, and then some other things around it to make it interesting. But so that's how I build encounters. Um, and I do try to keep in mind, you know, something big and crunchy that people got to deal with. I will abuse flyers, although I don't over abuse flyers. because they get really annoying when the party can't reach them. And I will try, I will often have things that can attack the back line or come out the back line just so the wizards don't get too comfortable. That's how I do it. Uh, so Tony, how do you go about building your encounters? Well, I really cannot stand a truly random encounter. I do not enjoy them. Every, every one of these encounters is put together. So with that, I think I, I hinted on a little earlier, I like to give in some counters, you have the opportunity to handle it differently. Are you going to run? Are you going to talk to it? What's happening? Or is this just the remoras that wants to come and bite your face and swallow you? Well, there's no talking to him. So... It all depends. Uh, no, I don't like large singular encounters because I think it's kind of beat when my players are like two battles in and they're like, all right, guys. I'm like, what's wrong, wizard? I have magic missile left. Like, all right, freaking sleep, dude. For God's sakes, like we just started. Like it's nine o'clock in the morning and you need to like, you know, crawl back into bed. 
Um, I always roll my eyes when the third level wizard starts firing magic missiles at the first encounter of the day. I'm like, really? Really? You don't think you want to save this? All right. Hey, <laughs> you know what? When you when your favorite number on that D20 is nine, I feel the guy's pain. I, I understand yeah. that, too. Well, I know that these are going to hit that much that I know. Right? Well, that I monster is like anything. slamming the party fighter on the ground. It's like, I'm, like, and all these blasts are just shooting all over his head and like it again, going by him in all different directions. It's really upsetting. Um, but uh, if I had one last solid tip to give for the evening, this is it. When you're doing your plot for new players, um, if somebody introduces something that you had not considered and it's neat, go with it. Let them explore it, let them dig it out, and then later act like it was always there. Absolutely. I've had some guys pull some ideas out of their friggin' out of their back pocket or deep within their ass. And I'm like, wow, I wish I thought of that. Hang on. Let me get my pen. Yeah, no, that that's actually a little better than what I came up with. That's fantastic. Yeah, the dragon coal. Oh, good, good idea, guys. You should investigate them. Do you have an example of that? Like, I mean, so you're talking about when the players are like, oh, I, when the players are like putting clues together and they come up with that, that's not really, they come up with a plan that isn't really what's going on, but you're like, oh yeah, now like that is what's going on, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I've changed, I've changed things in stories. I've had my players in a story arc come up with a better explanation than where it was going to build up by my uh, account. And I'm like, oh no, yeah, <laughs> you got, you nailed it guys. Yeah. It was the circle <laughs> of wizards. Fantastic. I, I um, don't know how you saw through that so quickly. Yeah. And, and to boot on that, Tony, I know we've talked about this before, but also taking, um, taking characters, backstories, uh, or their ideas for their character and helping that to build out your story and world. Cause sometimes it'll give you ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of taking it in that direction, but hell yeah, that sounds awesome. Now I can play with X, Y, Z. You know, character backstories can be very powerful. You've got players. Yeah. I talked about meshing your creativity with theirs. They're going to do some legwork for you. They're saying, Hey, this is what I have. And like, I got to, I did it with a lot with your character Dave, yeah. um, to some extent, I did it with Sang, but I, you know, you and Bonnie, both with your girlfriend, like you're both packaged into the storyline, and it kind of helps me drive my plot in areas where I'm filling in some blanks. Mm. Yeah, really gives, I, I feel like that kind of stuff gives the the story. It, that's where it can really have that like authentic, uh, authentic feel. Even with something like, you know, we're running Storm King's Thunder, but you know, it's this group that's running it, you know what I mean? Which totally changes, I think, everything. Not the least of which is you, you know, adding probably about 67 pages of material, but. Oh my God, I've added so much of this. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, I don't think there was, uh, I don't think there was a Troll King or an nope. Ice Devil in the book. <laughs> nope. Mm, was there nope, a dragon nope. in the book? No, yes, but not there. That's for Was there an sure. airship? Is there an airship in the book? Yeah, but it looks terrible. It's dumb. I hated that airship. I gave you a much cooler airship. <laughs> See, I'm this like, I am. Side. This is the other side of using book modules. It's like, yeah, this is a book module, but I'm rewriting all of it anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, th- thanks for the suggestions, guys. Shove <laughs> off my desk. Um, I'm sure people want to come in and be like, this module was the best of all time. It changed my life. I'm like, we'll never know. I completely hijacked it. <laughs> I, 
I feel like I need to play it somewhere else just to see how it actually plays. Sure. Yeah, I mean, if you've I'll got run, like, I'll run it next. I'll run it through the next game. We'll play through it just to see how much it changes. But again, as I think I touched on this previous podcast, they had Storm King's Thunder did some things that I didn't like, and that's what brought us to this point. And you know, I'm not hating on it because his ideas were fantastic. The materials are presented, and the maps and everything was very good. But yeah, there was no character introduction. It's like here you are at the module, da na na na, and it, like what? Yeah, I mean that always leaves. Uh, from what I've seen, it always kind of leaves, and I like that. I like um, when the, like the pre-published stuff that I like that it leaves some of that legwork on you because that's when you can really do some of that cool, fun, fantastical stuff, putting it into your world, into whatever, and allow the players to, uh, you know, to kind of help drive the story. But then all the other stuff is there. You know, the dungeon's already there. I don't have to build each room of the dungeon. You know, I don't have to, to, to build the, the, the country of Barovia. It's there, you know, and then I get to play with it on higher levels, you know, I get to can be concerned about what are the the machinations of the big bad. Why are they doing these things? How does that fit into the character? Why, when the character starts to go this way, oh well, that totally changes it. And now I'm going to start to try to maybe tempt them with this or that or the other thing. You know, um, so it's one of the biggest reasons that I like using stuff, even if I've completely torn it apart and put it back together. Because at least then I don't have to sit there and make the dungeon. It's there. You know, I don't have to make or the, the town. Ugh. The town, right, exactly. Like, you know. Nightstone uh, would have been like a blacksmith and like a bait shop if I was running it. <laughs> well, because you can you can fall down that rabbit hole where you start, especially all of us are, are we, we all think a lot about what we're putting in the games and stuff. So when you start to build some of this stuff, you can quickly go down that rabbit hole where oh, well, geez, why is that a, is it a parliamentary form of government? And why would they, you know, and like, that's cool stuff to pontificate on. Meanwhile, you got a game on Friday night and they want to fight some shit. You know, they yeah. don't care. They don't care about, oh, well, it's not gold pieces here as much because of the mines only pull out <laughs> Electrum. So Electrum yeah. is actually, like, I don't care. What kind of economy do they have? Yeah, I mean, like, that's I don't, my question. I don't care about that, you Who know. like trading partners? <laughs> I mean, I kind of care about that, right? But, like, on such a low level, right? Yeah, like, what are we fighting? What are we finding? And, and you know, yeah, let's do this. Mission. Can we get 50 gold for everybody? That would be amazing. Like, at the yeah, total right? Universe. Can I buy a fucking shield? Because I'm, I'm literally dying out here, you know? Things yeah. like that, you know? You know, that is, that is perhaps the best reason to avoid building a town your first time out. Because the thing is, to make a town feel real, you kind of have to start with that stuff. Otherwise, you wind up with plot holes. Like, you know, well, wh how do they get their money? How exactly. do they make their living? How do they feed exactly. their people? This guy's in charge. Why is he in charge? Like, like, how do they listen to him? So when you're building a town, like when I built Woodstock, like I wrote all that stuff down. And like, it's like I wrote like two pages of just like, how does the town work? Where's the stuff? Why does it work this way? That the players, I told them some of it, but it doesn't. It just it's just scene setting. It's just mood setting. But it's like if you're going to build a town, you kind of need to put enough of that in where you can fill it out and you're going to cover the holes. Whereas that's a good spot to pick something up if you want to, you know, picking up a book town, picking up a book, you know, a dungeon where the maps are laid out, you know, or, or if it's or, or, or like even some encounters are down there can be worthwhile because you wind up not because you someone else took care of the holes. 
Thorne, to tell you the truth, I, uh, my character, Bean, the cleric, he was super interested in, he doesn't trust any of what's happening in Woodstock. He didn't like yeah. it, and he kind of wanted to investigate, but then we were heading off into the woods, so, and I'll never, well, I never figured it out, but I knew there was something that I wanted to kind of figure. So, your, your, uh, your work was definitely appreciated. Uh, we just couldn't uh, investigate it as much. We couldn't delve into it. Well, that's the flip side. When you get to the, <laughs> when we redo the, this is for beginners. This is the DMing 101. If we one day come back yeah. and do DMing 301, <laughs> then you get into okay. Well, here's how you build a town that makes sense, and you get into some of the stuff. Actually, Matt Colville Hill here does some great work about how do you build complex political stories and where does power come from, and you get into stuff uh, like that. You know, it'd be hard to get into it. do it well. You know, if you're not yeah. going to do that, yeah. just, get a, like, just get a book. Well, Someone a lot of times uh, people will oftentimes talk about like it's awesome to build your world out and stuff. And people look at at people like Matt Colville or especially Matt Mercer. I mean, the man now has two campaign guides, in essence, for his world of Exandria. Right. And it's awesome. And the lore that he's built up and all. But people are not realizing that, one, he started with like some one shot for his friends with this. He had already been DMing for, God knows, 20 years or something. And then they're on a goddamn hugely rated, like, stream show. Then you're going to put in that work. Because now it makes sense. He's getting paid for some of it. Yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense to have to build it out. And also, they went through what now? God, two seasons. They're probably, I don't know, 3,000 hours of gaming. So your world is going to kind of be built out. Just cause, you know, you haven't played 3,000 hours yet. You're just getting ready for the first dungeon delve. So, Tony, what were you saying there? Yeah, yeah. It would really be heartbreaking is if you were to really put that kind of crazy thought into a town or a community or a city. Like, I made the city of Magnesia. That's a city that uh, Thorin's campaign and they ventured in. And I had a complicated government. There was two kings, like, in the Greek world. Well, one was in charge of commerce, and one was in charge of war. And, you know, that was real great. And some players cared. And, like, some players are like, okay. Like, mm." you know, I can see, like, I got a good positive response because it was really – it was a – worked out details but i can see if that goes flat like that's a deal breaker mm. like honestly i mean hey i just spent 20 hours developing the city what if they want to leave and eventually you, know, you left the city as i recall you would have to go seek treasure and yeah build never the, made it back build the skeleton of it give a couple points that give some level of lore and history to your world but then let it be fleshed out if it needs to be well so this does kind of, and I think we can get into this a little bit here. I don't think we're getting, we, we, there's going to be some tips here for more experienced DM. So let's get into that a little bit. Because I've had times where I build a world like Woodstock, where actually the players, so like Dave said, it, it, there was interesting things there. I dropped a lot of hints that maybe got players involved, and I sent them off on a quest and never let them come back. I don't uh, trust any of those fuckers <laughs> in there. I don't trust a goddamn one of them. I remember a time, I think one point before we brought, we talked about a time when I invented a, uh, basically the party at a higher level came across like a society that was a little bit based on things like, like, like that on African society and aspects of like Amazon societies and kind of some interesting kind of, uh, anthropological kind of stuff about how these cultures are put together and who the leader is and how, and I remember trying to explain this stuff and the guys were like, we get it, get on with it. What, what do we got to do here? And so, there is a there's a there's kind of a, a, a scale between enough detail that makes it interesting and so much detail the party doesn't care. 
And I think what really lets you put more detail in and keeping the party caring is how much it relates to them. Like you never want to have a complex city or town where the party walks in and you're giving them detail just for the sake of giving them detail. You've got to match it all to why it matters to them. So if you have two Kings and I don't know that you did if with Magnesia, I don't think that we did this, but if you have two Kings and now the one King is hiring you to go do espionage against the other King, now the party's into it and they want to know why, what they're going to, they're going to learn more and know what the deal is. If you have two Kings and they're just the same as one King, only two people tell you what to do, then you don't have the party's investment. So it's kind of, Finding the ways that this interesting political system or whatever you have, economic system, just interesting, the ways that the factions affect the party, that's really what kind of lets you build a complex town and actually have the ca- characters care about it. If you can't hook it to how the, what the characters are doing and make them kind of engage them in it, then yeah, it's just wasted work. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, so Magnesia, I mean, Tony, Magnesia was a cool backstory. I mean, you didn't, you didn't pull that from anywhere, did you? That was just something you made yourself, right? Uh, no, um, actually, uh, Plato and uh, Socrates <laughs> would uh, claim credit for Magnesia, but um, that was their, uh, that was the ideal city that they were trying to create. That was in, in, in the. Huh. His philosophies. So that's where I pulled the inspir- the name from specifically. Um, no, I read went crazy with details. Like there was times where there was a plague, and who yeah. was their last great king? But like one of the like a king of legend, like King Gregor, you know. And there was a plague and all this crazy shit, and they were at war with this one kingdom, but their one allies had gone dark, and all this stuff was happening. And it's very easy also for the players not to pick everything up on that. Like, it yeah. starts getting lost. And we talked about this previous podcast. If I start throwing out all this information, it's going to get lost. It's not no, going to drive. Of course. It's, uh, I'm reminded of, uh, one, because uh, I think they did it, actually, some of the best I've ever seen is uh, the world of Golarian. So the, the world that Pathfinder exists in. Um, they have... They have a whole wiki uh, attached to it, and I actually used it for my campaign that I was running through because it was all at my fingertips. Um, but just a massive world building. It was phenomenal. Uh, very similar to, like, the Forgotten Realms. But again, what are you looking at? You're looking at people that have been building these worlds for the last 30 years, 40 years, right? Like, the Forgotten Realms, there's novelizations that have been dedicated to it and game campaign settings and 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 all of this so you're gonna build that world out and you can but you don't have to do that in session one right you're building the you're in the town and you got to go clear out the goblins or whatever the hell it is right and then let the other stuff get built out as you need it and then 10 years down the road you got this phenomenal you know world that's awesome but yeah, just worry about this session. Well, the, and that is really that's always good advice. And we've 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 talked about it, always worry about this session. But I kind of sympathize with Tony here, which is sometimes what's rewarding to you as a DM is doing that. Yeah. So like when I have time, when I sat down to build Woodstock, I just sat down one afternoon and just wrote Woodstock. And like it didn't even take me that long. It's just kind of like almost stream of consciousness. Well, if this happens, then this must be happening. If that's there, then this must be there. What do they do? Um and it's fun. And it is fun for me. The trick, the yeah. hard thing, as Tony was saying, is doing it in such a way that what you're creating pays off with player engagement because players often don't naturally care. 
I do think it's important to find ways that it impacts the players. Like I, what I remember from Magnesia's backstory came in when we had to go back in time and fight off enemies. They fought back in time and we saw Magnesia before it was Magnesia. Uh, that kind of thing kind of was like, okay, we started to get a feel for, well, there is a history here and it matters and I should care about it. And it's just, you know, you got to find those hooks that you got to find those. Well, you're, you, you like, if you want your complex town to matter to the players, you need to give them a reason that matters to their characters. Otherwise, like we all do in our daily lives, they're going to walk around and not care what's going on in the government or the sanitation department or with the farms. We don't care in the real world. Until <laughs> I mean, the characters that care in the fantasy world, you got to give them. You got You have to basically put them in it if you're going to do it in order to get that kind of play or engagement that is so rewarding. Yeah, that's one of the ways that Thorn. Because I, I say that too. I, I love you know thinking up this stuff and, and writing it down and, and figuring out you know world history and all this lore and everything. And I kind of did that with the Slavers Bay thing and the way in which I introduced a massive yeah. amount of world building was when you guys were in the big games. The, right, the Days yeah. of Wrath games, I, in essence, had you fighting symbolically, as they would have done back in, you know, gladiatorial Rome. I had you fighting through the ages, and each of your your encounters in the thing were the first age and the second age, and then you ended by fighting a totally ripped-off character from Spartacus, but regardless... <laughs> uh, Inspiration! The, yeah, the hill giant named Theocles, the shadow that of... Was awesome. but, that was awesome. That was awesome. But yeah, and, it, and each... each um, each part portion of the of the games were dedicated to, in essence, revealing part of the lore. So it was exciting because you guys got to fight. And then you also got a little bit of stuff, which some of the players were super into. And some, who cares, I get to fight this hill giant. And that's okay because it's still out there and it's still building that world, you know. But yeah. like you're saying, in a way that affects the players and somewhat. But that world's also a good example, though, of kind of world building you put in that did involve the players because one, we were gladiators, which means that we were at the mercy of this political system. So you learn some things that way and you learn some things when you're trying to escape and you know, there's the history stuff we learned through the games, but even more important than that, then we're brought in and we're being sent on a mission as secret agents from the dominant, from, from, from the, from the dominaria of the city, the, the, the kind of the, the leader. Yeah. And then we're being sent out through like Roman style roadworks crews and we're interacting with them and their centurions <laughs> And all of those things are what bring that world to life. Not the yeah backstory it's the how does the player interact with it because the player interaction is what makes players remember things exactly without interaction not a monologue yeah Yeah. no exactly and that's what i wanted to get away from that 10 minute monologue of like you know yeah in when i'm watching lord of the rings it's awesome when they tell me about you know the fight with sauron and now and the elves and and men right but it's not cool when you're sitting there and you just want to start rolling some dice but in a way that i could throw in this history so for anybody who digs that you just got some and then yeah like you were saying you're in it so it's 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 directly affecting you yeah uh final thoughts well i think for me you know if you're going to be a new dm don't let it overwhelm you you know it can feel sometimes like you're walking into a situation where you've got to be the storyteller and the entertainer and the referee and the manager and the leader and the cfo and the security guard and everything else You know, you want to find a group who wants to play and have fun as much as you do. This is really important. The group's got to be invested first. It's not you asking them to come to you a favor to play. You got to find players who want to play and are going to work with you to play. Then you just got to worry about laying out an adventure for them to go on. They'll take care of the rest of themselves. So I think it's that's the most important thing. 
I would advise, especially as a new DM, keep yourself out of a situation where you are being treated like it's your privilege or you are hosting them. So you need to entertain them. Try to do it with a group that's really going to be grateful and engaged and happy you're doing it. And there are plenty of players who are looking for DMs who are just going to be super happy you're DMing for them and go with it. Find those players. Avoid the kind of entitled kind of, you know, well, you brought us here. What are you doing with us kind of guys? Just because, especially as a new DM, that tends to be what makes it really hard. Uh, enthusiasm from your players, number one thing I think you should look for. Dave? Uh, the points I made earlier. Uh, one, I think you should play first if, if, uh, if you haven't. So play in the game that you want to run um, so you get a sense of how the flow is. If you can't, I would highly recommend using the resources that are out there. Go on YouTube. Check out two things. Check out Matt Colville's Running the Game. It is phenomenal for novice DMs and experienced DMs. The guy knows his stuff. Uh, the second one would be, it's Geek and Sundry runs it. It's called GM Tips. Uh, Matt Mercer ran it initially. Now it's Satine Phoenix. Uh, really cool little five-minute things that just give you some stuff that's like what we're doing here, stuff that's not in the book. Um and get a basic sense of the rule set that you're working with, at least a basic sense so that you're mm -hmm. at least playing the game that you want to play. Um, and that's why I always recommend to uh, play something that's already been made, like just open up, crack up one of the modules, play that, and then go hog wild after that, because then you'll see how the game kind of runs. So, Tony, uh, final thoughts, I would say. Um, I would agree with you, Dave. Absolutely try to have the best feel of the rules that you can. But the most important thing here is you managing the flow of the game. See that everybody's having fun. You're hitting your points. Everyone's getting an opportunity to do things. Nothing's horribly overbalanced. Uh, over like you're walking through every encounter. Like everybody could be like half asleep killing the monsters. Or everybody's all wiped out in you know the, the second battle. Um as the great Gary Gygax once said, if you're not following my rules exactly, the guys from TSR aren't going to come to your house and break your legs. Um, <laughs> stuck in a moment where you want to feel like you should be throwing some story in here, I would have your default set to the player's backstory. Use that as a resource as well. It's good advice. All right, guys. Had a great time. Thanks a lot for yes. stopping by to chat more. Absolutely. Good it's stuff, guys. Good time. And that's all tonight from Three Wise DMs. Thank you very much for joining us. If you want more, you can find articles, past podcasts on threewisedms.com. You can also follow us wherever podcasts are served. We would love to hear the kinds of things we can help you with. So drop us a line at, on the website in our I Have a Problem field or send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com. Let us know what we can do, what we can talk about to help you in your games. I'll see you next time with Three Wise DMs.